Welcome to the Lead Team Athletics Podcast. I got my guy Tevin in here. I'm your host, Kyle Cognitori, and we have the pleasure of having author and Minnetonka head coach Mark Esch with us today. How's it going, Mark? Going great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. How you doing with the pandemic? Yeah, probably same as everybody else, ready to get out and, and live life again, but uh, kind of set up an office in my basement here and, and working out of my basement. Got to be pretty anti with football now, being the head coach, trying to get that foundation going. 100%. We had a, a good, you know, couple months to get things organized, and now we're doing a lot of online stuff. So it's not ideal, but just hoping we can get out there sometime this summer and start running around. You know, Coach, I, I know the, the three big pillars that, you, that you've followed throughout your career is faith, family, and football. You want to elaborate on some of that for us real quick before we get into your coaching career? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, for me, everything, everything starts with my faith. Um, you know, for 26 years, I was kind of a, um, you know, I looked like I had it all together and, um, you know, seemed like a pretty good guy, which, you know, probably I was, but had a faith experience through several exposures and uh, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that has guided me um, in everything I do. So uh, I share that with people and, and, you know, if I share it with someone, I'm not always just trying to convert them to my, my faith or my beliefs. It's just something that has changed me. And I share that because that's the basis for everything I do. And so faith, uh, you know, drives, drives my everyday decisions. Family, of course, um, everyone, uh, you know, who has a family and children and wife and uh, mom and dad and all that stuff, you know, obviously the love that you feel for, for your family is second to none. And uh, I have three daughters, so uh, they pull on my heartstrings in ways that, uh, you know, I never thought was possible and uh, certainly has, has softened me up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I was never an emotional person, and, uh, but uh, they can do it. They certainly can do it when you live with four females. And then football, of course, uh, it's kind of why I wrote a book. One of the many reasons why I wrote a book uh, football, I feel like saved my life in times when I was struggling uh, for finding meaning and purpose. And uh, I think God put football in my life to to get me through those tough times until I finally had a realization what life was all about. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And you come from, uh, before we dive into the book and everything like that, you come from Caledonia, right? Correct. Yeah. Born, born and raised in Brownsville, Minnesota, okay. which is a river town. I mean, literally right on the Mississippi River and um, bus to Caledonia. So spent my whole life in the Caledonia school system, graduated from Caledonia High School in 1995. Well, before we get into the book again, I want to go through the actual stages. So we're going to kind of go from the dates of everything you climb all the way to the point where you did do the book. Um, your high school career coaching career you, you first started off in college as an assistant coach right at uh, South Dakota State then the University of Wisconsin lacrosse mm-hmm. South, South Dakota State see I'm a, I'm a former NDSU guy so uh, I'm sorry that you got stuck <laughs> in in SDSU. it was actually USD so oh, to USD. correct you but probably the same feelings yeah, say, yeah same feelings. <laughs> at least it wasn't at least it wasn't North Dakota but uh, uh, yeah there you go <laughs> And then you, you ended up coaching at Austin High School. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where you started getting a name for yourself. But then the big, big twist is you ended up going to a pretty, a very, very proud town in Mankato West over there. And, and I know at first, some of the articles I was reading, people were a little freaked out. Like, who's this 
this small town guy coming in to do this program, <laughs> but you ended up killing it. 11 years, two state championships, nine state appearances, uh, six district conference titles. Uh, I mean, you guys, you were coach of the year. You had some really big recruits. Let's, let's talk about that. How do you build that program? How'd you change these people's minds and that culture? Yeah, I, I don't think I was a super popular hire at that time. I was a 29-year-old who had never been a head coach. My Austin years, I was the offensive line coach. So they took a chance on me, and, and I was the second guy they offered it to, to be honest with you. So it paid to come in second. The other guy turned it down and took a head coaching job somewhere else. And so, you know, I want to say this, Kyle. The number one reason for our success at Mankato West was the kids. A hundred percent. They worked their tails off. They became brothers. They did just so much. And I just can't say enough, you know, as a head coach, sometimes you get the credit for that. And, uh, I don't deserve it. Those kids were just amazing. And then you throw into that, the community and all, all that stuff, all the, all the pieces that come into being successful as a program, you know, really the only thing that I did Kyle was put a vision out there and I believed in my, my guys and uh, tried to develop a brotherhood. And so when wins started coming, you know, early on, it was like, you can't beat the Rochester schools. Why even show up? That was the attitude at yeah. that time. So, you know, we, I won my first football game as a head coach against Rochester JM. And if you look on Twitter, Mankato West football just retweeted a huge play, like an 80-yard run out of that game. That was huge, a good memory. But I think just the belief, we, we decided what we want to do, what we want to be, and we believed in it. We never stopped, and we just developed so many great relationships along the way. And the relationships are the key to winning and being successful, in my opinion. You did you that. Think, oh, go ahead. Do you think it helped you being, you know, 29 years old? You kind of will be a younger coach, especially like in, in, for high school, that it helps you kind of relate to players at all? Does that kind of help you get a, get a leg up? Yeah, I think it did. At first um, – now I'm an old guy, 43 years old. So, but I like to think I still relate to players. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit different, but I think when you're that young, there is a little, I always, now I say they're like my, my, um, my sons, but before I was like, these guys are like my little brothers. Yeah. And, uh, so, so I think it did help in relating to the guys. I think, and I think it goes back to momentum after that. Like once you get that first win, that second win and then, Hey, I think we ripped off uh, six in a row at West my first year. And then it was just, it was on after that. We had talent coming up and we, you know, our job as coaches was to get the talent in the right positions and maximize them through the weight room and speed training and all that stuff. And we did that. And um, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. Well, I mean, now you're the most popular guy in Mankato. So it's, it's gotta be pretty cool to have that, that flipped. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I definitely, I definitely went out at the right time. I just kind of felt like it was time to move on. And people have asked me that and you might ask me this Kyle later, but people are like, why did he leave? I think our, I don't know exact records from when I was there. You might have that. From I do years. have that one Oh seven and 22 in 11 years, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we were 30 something in three, the last three years, including one state championship. And I left after that time and people say, well, why did you do it? Well, first of all, it was a faith thing. I just felt like God was calling me out and my time was done. I was at peace, still at peace with that decision. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to test myself to make sure my identity was not in coaching football. 
that's not at the end of my life and I might not get to make this decision. I don't want to be known as a football coach. I want to be known as a difference maker, somebody who made a difference in the world. And I wanted to take a year off to make sure that I wasn't in misery. And, and, and I know I can live without football after that year, but it was obvious that, Hey, you got something else to give. So it was time to come back. Um, when I took the job at Prior Lake as the offensive coordinator. Well, there's, yeah, there's, oh, go ahead, Tevin. So and I was saying just like dealing with like the kind of that self-identity, that's the thing that a lot of athletes that you're coaching now and if, eventually if they go on to play college, at, at some point the game is going to end for them. And so as somebody that, you know, you kind of went through that experience of who am I outside of the sport, you're going to be able to help other kids go through that transition in the future. That just adds more value to you as a coach. 100%. I agree with that, Tevin. And one thing I learned through this process that I've already shared with people and helped in their life journeys is you need something to pour yourself into. So I left football. I got into uh, jujitsu. So if you look over in my basement, I got some mats down here. And um, me and my buddy have been fully quarantined and we've been training together. <laughs> he comes over a couple times a week. But, uh, you know, I got into jujitsu and that filled that that space, that football, you always got to have that next thing. Um, mm -hmm. And we were running our business at the time and I was doing jujitsu. I, I don't think retirement ever, no matter if you're 90 years old, is sitting around doing nothing. Like yeah. in my opinion, that scares the heck out of me. Hopefully I'm never to the point where I'm sitting around doing, but doing nothing, but helping kids with transitions out of football, helping people with job changes or losing jobs and finding something to take hold of just give a shout out to Alliance Jiu-Jitsu for those people who are in the Minneapolis area in Edina when we open back up. Shout out Alliance. Great, great place, Alliance Jiu-Jitsu. Check it out. Well, so the, the, the thing that you segued off into, so you, you were running a business. Let's talk about that business because it was very successful. And mm -hmm. it gave you and your wife the opportunity to actually leave teaching because you were teaching during all these times as well. Right. Let's talk about that before we get into Prior Lake and Awesome. So yeah, uh, you know, we started a business with Avocare and uh, we were, we were successful independent distributors and um, you know, it enabled us and starting in uh, summer of 2013, I left teaching, was able to uh, take several years there where I, all I focused on was, was uh, football and family, which faith football family, all, those three things were hundred percent my focus. And I love teaching. It's just like, would I rather be spending time with my girls and my wife or, you know, be in the classroom when I had that option. So it paid us really well. And another uh, life experience that has shaped us is in May of 2019. And I'm not going to get into the details. I have feelings on this and all that stuff. Um, they changed the way they, they paid distributors and we lost 99% of our income. I mean, we had a six figure income rolling. Uh, it was great. I had luckily chosen to get back into teaching when I took uh, the offensive coordinator position in Prior Lake. I was teaching part time, which was which was good. It was a blessing. But just to touch on this with the listeners, just going through that experience of losing ninety nine percent of your income, like overnight, we went from a six figure income to like twenty thousand dollars that I was making teaching or whatever it was. <laughs> and living living in a house that we we had built and uh it was a scary time but what i learned in that time is even though i can't say the first week or two i wasn't panicked and worried and all that stuff but took a deep breath and uh a buddy of mine 
you know, who was actually a Vietnam veteran and uh, his son played for us at Mankato West. His saying is, if you blink, you die. And he applied that to this situation. So we, we, Sarah and I are go-getters. We got up, we got moving, uh, figured things out with some help from some friends. The other thing is the seeds you invest your whole life really come to harvest and really surface when something like this happens. And so almost losing everything has turned out to be a blessing. Um, if I could go back and change it, I probably would, but, but same time I can't. So let's take this and turn it into a good experience, a good life experience to where, you know, we're talking about this COVID stuff and people losing jobs. I'm like, that already happened to us. And if it happens again, I know how to react. I know what to do. And so, um, it was, it was a blessing. Like all hard times are in retrospect, uh, it was a huge a new book is what I'm smelling. <laughs> yeah. And it, it really did motivate me to, uh, to write this book. It was one of the many motivating factors to write this new book. So, well, I'm talking about, you might end up writing another advocate you, about that <laughs> whole experience. Talk, talk about that. That might turn oh, I got you. you right there. <laughs> I got but, you. But during that 18 months, you did write about Caledonia. And I want to hear about this because it's, it's a really, really cool story. Yeah. You know, I, I went through Caledonia in the nineties. Like I mentioned, I graduated in 95 and my brother graduated in uh, 91. And so when I was there and this is outlined in the book in more detail than what I can give right now, but um, the, the culture was drinking, partying, womanizing, fighting, uh, you name it. It wasn't what it is now. And uh, it was what I call a toxic male um, culture. It was absolutely led by the males in the school. And because their energy was misplaced. And I feel like if we don't have a football season this fall, we're at risk of similar things happening. Uh, I'm going to teach my kids this experience and hopefully learn from the book what not to do. But I guarantee there are going to be people in situations or if you don't play football, because there's nothing like football. That's, I'm biased. I get it. I'll admit it. I don't think there's anything like football as far as a physical outlet. Jiu-jitsu is the next best thing that I found personally. And so uh, the culture was toxic. And then uh, Mark Frailing comes in. He's my head, head football coach. And my senior year was kind of the first year that started to turn around. Mark started teaching about values and culture and, and being a good person and treating people the right way. And our guys just bucked it, you know, for the most part. But really, at, at one point, just started to buy in a little bit. And that led to a successful football season. I think the talent has always been there in that, in that city. And I think in most cities for that, or towns or cities for that matter, the talent's been there or is there. You just got to manifest it. And just a little caveat or side note, one of my favorite quotes, and I don't have it in front of me, so... I might not uh, pull it out perfectly, but the, the role of a leader is not to put greatness into a person. It's to pull it out because that greatness is already, already exists in, that, in, in the people that you're, you're leading. So what Mark did and what Carl did when he took over, Carl Frichty, is he started to pull that greatness out of people. And it took a while, you know, to, to other coaches out there that are struggling right now. It took Carl 10 years to get this culture turned around to a place where it was um, kind of flowing at a, at a, 
it was positive. You know, kids were looking out for each other. They created the brotherhood and all that type of stuff. And even now today, over the course of the 68 game win streak that we'll get to in a minute, uh, there's still cultural struggles. It's never going to go away completely. Kids are kids. You got to teach each group of kids the, the stuff that you're teaching the other group of kids about being doing the right thing and all that stuff. So anyway, uh, how did I get to write this book? Yeah. Uh, well, I looked at what they were producing. They were on this winning streak, and it, which is now 68 games. They were winning all these state championships down in Caledonia. They produced two Navy SEALs, two NFL football players out of a town of about 3,000 people. I mean, seriously, two Navy SEALs, right? Um, another high-level military guy that we don't even know for sure what he does because he can't tell us. <laughs> um, but you know but beyond that just the the dads the now dads that have the fathers and the, the contributors to society and people just going out and getting after it um it amazed me and, and I, I kept saying this to my wife for over over a year and she's like you just need to be quiet and write this book and she's like I'm going to support you you just need to do it so she kind of kind of slapped me across the face literally not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> and so uh, when this happened with the, the Avocare situation, I, uh, I buckled down and really took me about nine months, did a lot of interviews and um, told my own story through this process, how it was. And uh, it turned out to so far be uh, pretty successful. I think in, you know, about four and a half months, we've sold 1400 copies nice. and we're self-marketing. So uh, sharing this with people, you know, people listening to this, if, if you want to read it and you like it, share it with people, you know, we're not paying anybody to market it. You just get it on Amazon, and, which is an amazing deal. And the so, name of the book is Rise of the Warriors. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's Rise of the Warriors. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but you can just go to the website, riseoftheWarriorsBook.com and check it out and order it from there. Nice. Nice. That, that's impressive. 14,000 copies by yourself. That's huge. Yeah, we need to get you in. Uh, in uh, what is it? Barnes and Noble down there in uh, Mankato, book signing. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty cool. I had a couple book signings, and and it's kind of weird, you know, just kind of, I guess, surreal. Uh, I never thought that this would happen. I'm the type of guy who I don't do real well when I receive compliments, like even you reading off the record. It's like, ah, uh, I just feel kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the way it. it's got to be. That's the way it's yeah. got to be. Because then it, yeah. it, if you never look at them like, oh, this is the end, or this mm -hmm. is the end goal, I did it, I made it, then you don't keep moving forward. So as long Correct. as you stay humble with it, that's the way to do it. Yeah, for sure. 100%. You know, my favorite quote actually was, um, difference makers in their respective fields and in life. That was something that I thought was really cool that I felt like stood for what the the, the frick D, you know, mm -hmm. the background he was trying to implement at that area. And, and another thing I want to say, you said the state titles, they had 11 of them since mm -hmm. 05. Mm -hmm. So that, that's very, very impressive. Um, and his son was one of the NFL players, yeah. Isaac Frick D for Vikings. Yeah. So that yeah, was another absolutely. really cool thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I really wanted to ask you about is the crazy weight room program they're known for. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um... – it's crazy because they work so hard. Okay. And, and so in the book, I kind of tell the backstory of how this got started. I, I met Ernie Hodges when I, when I was graduating from high school, my senior year. And Ernie's the guy who got this going. Carl's the speed guy. He's the leader 
of the program. Ernie's the weight room guy. And I tell these stories in the book, but he's always be that guy, Southern draw. Yeah, I think you could add another 50 pounds. You know, he'd be that guy that challenge you on the back squat. I always feel like high school kids can always squat, front squat, back squat, do all that stuff more than they ever believe. Bench press, they're all going to go in there and put on as much weight as they can and all that. Mm -hmm. But squat is a different beast. It's the back squat, especially. You, you got to have a mindset. And you can always just push a little harder, I feel like. And that's really where Ernie started doing that. We would have Sunday night squat sessions with one of those Navy SEALs whose name was not disclosed in the book. His name's Jesse Nelson in the book because he's still active duty. Um, and him and a few other guys, and we'd go up there and we'd just put on like Pantera and just get after it. And that's kind of where it all started. And I'm not saying I started anything. It, that's just kind of where it started. And uh, it just kind of morphed itself into Carl has always been a guy who's going to search for the best programs, the best speed programs, the best strength programs. Ernie's right there with him. So we started actually doing a program at Mankato West in 06 that was designed by Chuck Loby, who was at MSU, great strength coach. They took that. I know they, they had Scott Safe, who uh, does a lot of Olympic lifting in the state of Minnesota designed some of their programs early on and they've kind of just been combining these programs. So the program itself, Kyle and Devin, they're not like anything different than most high schools have maybe slightly, but the amount of work and effort and um, the brotherhood they create in the weight room is the key. And Ernie's the head of that in the weight room. You know, I went down there and, uh, for a semi section semifinal football game this last year against St. Charles, I think it was. And, you know, Ernie does part of the pregame and he just lays them down on the weight room floor. They close their eyes for about 10 minutes and he's just speaking, just, you know, showing them, Hey, you're going to get after this game, you know, and just the mental, the sports psychology that goes into that and the weight room is just what sets them apart. I feel like there's no secrets. No just they work hard. They're just crazy. They, they got it going on. You know, it, it, how did you convince kids to, to show up? Because I know you, you were very successful at getting numbers. You know, mm -hmm. at my high school, there was a handful of guys that actually lifted weights. They might come in during the season when we were forced to come in, but there was a rare amount of guys that actually were regulars. Mm -hmm. And in Mankato, I, it's very different. Yeah. So I've been asked this question so many times. And in my opinion, it's, it's extremely simple. Is the head coach in the weight room? Is the head football coach a weight room guy? So for me, I ran the weight room at Mankato West. Later in my career, I had some guys who would, I'd trust, and they'd come in and they'd do some of it, and I'd take a little time off. But I was always the weight room guy. I knew everything that was going on in there. I knew why we were doing it. I could tell you who's working hard, who's not. I would challenge these guys in a Carl Frickty type way, Ernie Hodges type way, because that's how they do it too. They're there. They're in a weight room. They're, they're coaching these kids. And I think a lot of times you get in a high school weight room or even a college weight room, you got 50 kids working out, or in some case 10, because you don't got it going on yet. And these coaches are having side conversations and they're not coaching the kids. So, uh, we, I feel strongly, I know Carl does too, it's a combination of relationship building. you got to have the relationship and then not being afraid to hold kids accountable. 
I think it's a, always an ever-changing dynamic of relationships and accountability. Because if I don't have a relationship with you, Kyle, and I'm trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do, you're going to say, no, this guy's a jerk. He's just <laughs> yelling at me for no reason. <laughs> but if you know where I'm coming from, you know me, maybe even you've been at my house, we've, we've talked a lot about personal stuff, and you know why we're doing this, and then I get on you a little bit, and you know it's because I love you, then boom. It's a totally different mindset. Too many coaches try to hold kids accountable without having the relationship. Of course. Of course. So. I, I, I completely agree with that. I think that uh, if you can manage that point, and that's something you're probably looking forward to doing in Mankato is building that. And I know you already you were an assistant running back coach before that. or mm, and then, But I want to get into the OC stuff with Prior Lake, mm -hmm. that transition from Mankato to come up to the cities and what all went into that. Yeah, great question. So, you know, during that season I took off, I went around and visited a lot of schools. Minnetonka was one of them, uh, Lakeville North, um, a couple others. And Prior Lake was always on my list. I didn't get to them. And then Prior Lake was playing Minnetonka in the state um, quarterfinals. I'm like, whoever wins this game, I'll go and see. Well, Minnetonka won. I went and saw Minnetonka for the second time, watched their practice. I'm like, I still want to get to Prior Lake. So I went and just met with Coach G and talked about his weight program because I heard that their weight program was really legit, really good. Just wanted to learn a few things. And we got to talking a little bit. And it's like, yeah, I'm look, kind of looking for an offensive guy. And, you know, you can kind of put two and two together from there. It just all worked out. I had known Russ Reitz, their AD, for years. We coached – he coached track at Prior Lake and myself at Mankato West and – we met each other and, and spent a lot of time at track meets together. So uh, he was a supporter getting me in as well. Did that um, for, for a season. You know, we didn't have a great year. It, we went from uh, ground and pound to uh, spread offense. We were, we were five and five. We had some games where we, we executed at a high level, some games not so much. I mean, I truly believe it's a process. And so that season wrapped up and, and uh, Coach Nelson – and I actually hooked up and he was talking about retiring, you know, bringing me in as, you know, heir apparent. They didn't want to commit to that, which is, which is fine. But I took an assistant job to understanding I'd have a shot at the head coaching job when the season uh, finished, if, if coach retired, which he did, we had an O and nine year and uh, you know, another, another struggle that when you're going through it, man, it's not that much fun. But looking back, we've learned a lot from it, you know. I think there will be a lot of greatness that stems out of that season. And uh, interviewed for that job, was fortunate enough to be offered, and I think it was February because it's kind of been a blur since then. <laughs> but uh, really worked hard at building relationships with coaches and players through that time, which is now serving me, serving me well when I can, you know, call these guys and text them, uh, having that baseline. I think the guys are excited. I'm excited. We're ready to get out there. You know, let's go. I'm ready yeah. to go today. <laughs> um, obviously, we can't do anything until June, but, um, you know, even if we don't get out there till July, you know, just to have some time, I think we're all ready for it. Everybody. Oh, who's, absolutely. Who's, and are you guys as a staff and as a team kind of preparing as if the season is going to start on time or you kind of, or you, have you made any adjustments to how you prepare with the situation we're going through right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're anticipating we're going to start in June like we normally would. We have a plan A and a plan B. 
so we're going to do a team camp out at um, uh, in Sioux Falls at uh, Augustana actually puts it on. It's called Legends Football Camp. It's a team camp. That camp got pushed back to July, so we kind of moved our football stuff into July. We're ready to hit the ground running with strength and speed in June, and then we're going to do the football stuff in July, go to camp, come back. Hopefully it all works out. and We're ready to go. Um, if we don't have that, that camp or we don't get football contact, you know, we're ready to modify for August. And I don't want to talk about if we don't start in August, we're just not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Positive mindset for sure. Yeah, right. right. Are you guys, uh, you know, getting together more so with zoom type meetings to try to keep the kids accountable during this? I mean, this is unfathomable with, with yeah. being a coach and trying to get the program going, especially in your first year head coaching yeah yeah it's certainly a challenge so we i've done a, a couple um google meet meetings that's what our district has we get free google meet so uh done a couple team meetings that way just keep guys in, in touch trying to do it about every two weeks you know they're they're inundated with other stuff too and online school and and all that stuff so i don't i don't i don't think we need to meet weekly they know what we expect of them we're giving them online workouts that they can do at home uh, speed stuff that they can do on their own and uh, so we they know what we expect of them uh, coaching staff wise we've had a lot of google meets and uh, you know it was a little weird at first we're getting used to it now you see my whiteboard in the back of me here uh, scribble on that a little bit and and use huddle playbook and share your screen and talk through stuff and you know last week we did an o-line meeting and me and the o-line coach were blocking chairs you know just turn the screen around a little bit and we're, <laughs> we're demonstrating on chairs so we're ready to go getting back to the original question no matter what um, i think mentally and emotionally we have to be prepared if there's not a season for me included mm -hmm. and you know i'm going to have the same advice i have for people who are transitioning out of difficult time i think you got to take a week and feel sorry for yourself maybe two days, everybody's a little bit different. You got to have that time. Like if, if you lose something, if you lose a person in your life, obviously this, this might take longer. It will take longer than if you lose, like I did a business, I went through a mourning process with that. Um, if we lose a season, you know, especially the seniors, uh, taking a week and feeling sorry for yourself, but then getting up and getting after it. You know, I listened to Jocko podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jocko Willink. He wrote the book, Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. And he says, when you go through something difficult, you got to, he takes one day, feels sorry for himself, eats a bunch of junk food. Then he gets up the second day and fasts and goes on like an eight mile run. And then he's just get after it mode after that. You got to have kind of that, that transition. So I think as, as coaches, we need to have that plan. If we don't have this football season, which I really didn't want to talk about, but we are now, we got to have a plan so we don't have some destructive behaviors taking place in, in our in our cultures that could affect us even into next year with the underclassmen. Yeah, and and with like seniors, obviously you don't nobody wants them to have to lose out on their last go around at it with their mm -hmm. friends, and but also it affects the recruiting process for some of your players that are looking to play at the next level. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, we're probably still a little early in that um, uh, kind of process. But what do you think will the what do you think will change in the recruiting process as far as what is affected by this COVID crisis? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if if we don't have a football season, you have to change. And this would be the NC2A that would have to do this. They would have to change how 
coaches can evaluate players. I think they would need to transition to um, in-person evaluations where they could drill a kid more, you know, get him on a surface where he can sprint and run and throw and catch and, and actually have a coach maybe run them through drills, a college coach, which is, you know, illegal right now. But in order to be fair to kids and universities that are recruiting, you got to modify that. You can't just go off junior film. A lot of these kids will get shortchanged and might improve some D3 football. Some of these kids might end up at D3 for a little while. But, um, you know, people are going to slip through the cracks for sure if we don't do something like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I I can't even imagine if I couldn't play my senior year. That would freak oh. me out, man. They got to give I them did. like a prep school option or something. Yeah. I mean, even in my book, like I, if I went ahead my senior year of football, if you read that story, I'd have fallen off the deep end. And I don't know if I'd have recovered. Just I started drinking and doing all the stuff. And um, football kept me from doing that. I don't know what would have You know, it can happen at any point. A kid can tear his ACL. You know, if we don't, if we don't have a football season, it's like every kid tears their ACL. They just don't have the injury. It's, it's more mental emotional. So it's – Another question I want to ask you um, about uh, the coaching situation. I don't know Minnetonka as well as some other schools around the area that I'm, I'm more, you know, aware of. But do you guys have issues with some of your top talent just not playing anymore? Playing football? Yeah, no interest in playing, that kind of deal. And how do you get them to come play? And if your program's not succeeding, it's even mm -hmm. harder for them to even have interest in it. So how do you kind of get out of that situation? Well, we're fortunate, you know, Coach Nelson has always done a great job recruiting. So our incoming freshman class is probably as large as any incoming freshman class in the state. You know, we're probably going to have 90 or so kids, maybe three teams. And then the lower levels look good really as well. Our youth football guys have been awesome. Uh, this class, is this last senior class was a little smaller. We have some smaller classes. So what we're doing, Kyle, is we're trying to get with, in fact, we had meetings with the youth associations of uh, baseball, hockey, and we're trying to really get a unified message going of not specializing. We're really trying to get the safety um, talking points out in the community you know, meaning football, football at the high school level is as safe as it's ever been. Nobody's benefited more, in my opinion, than high school football with the, you know, the con concussion issues and the, uh, the brain issues that are going on really in a college and, and, and professional level. To me, I look at it, and I say this question a lot, and I know at some point I'll get a, an answer that uh, is – opposite of what I want. And I'm expecting that fully. I'll ask you guys, you know, how many, how many guys do you know that have played high school football, whether you played with them or you're friends with them, you met them outside of school, you work with them. And now how many guys do you know that say they are permanently disabled due to high school football? Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I, I've asked, you know, maybe hundreds of people that question and I've, I haven't gotten one yet. I know at some point I will like such and such had this happen in high school and, you know, they're permanently disabled because of it. But high school football is a different beast than college and NFL football for sure. You know, the speed is slower, you know, even though it's faster than when I played, kids are bigger and stronger. The speed is slower. Um, if you choose to play at the college or NFL level, you know, the risk you're taking 
with mm-hmm. the brain injuries. But I think it's it's a lower. I'm not saying there's no risk, but it's a lower risk at the high school level. We have better helmets than ever. We're aware of these situations. Where I pulled a, a kid when I was at Mankato West my last year, he was. It turns out he was upset that he missed a tackle, and he looked funny, like he was wobbling around a little bit. I pulled him out. Right, we're we're more aware of this. I pull him out, and I'm like, Tom, you know what's going on? You okay? Look at me in the eyes. You know how many fingers am I holding up? You need to see. The, coach I was just mad because I missed the tackle you know that's how cautious we are as high school football coaches now which never happened before um so we're so much more aware and the helmets and the the rule changes are so much better when we're looking for targeting you know we're not leading for the helmet we've eliminated the words put your head down for the most Mm -hmm. part you know it used to be a coaching point when I was a running back. Well, put your head down and stick your face mask in, in the guy's chest. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> We're not teaching that stuff. So I feel like uh, better tackling, all that stuff. I feel like the game at the high school level is so much safer than it was years ago. And we don't really know any, if there's any permanent uh, issues with playing high school football. So that's, that's a message we're trying to get out. And I, I, I say that in every opportunity socially or privately that, that I can is, is spread that message. So I, I think that's why we're avoiding, and now coach Nelson did a great job of spreading that message too. And that's why we're avoiding what a lot of other schools are. I know the only, uh, the only kind of a funny story. I, I never was ever scared of another team, but I had a teammate of mine that I was scared of that he might tackle <laughs> me on accident and hurt me. That was something I was always worried about. He actually blew out a kid on my team's knee tackling uh, our own guy so that uh, that was the scariest thing i ever heard never anybody from the other team though <laughs> yeah, yeah your own practice yeah yeah well coach i i really appreciate you taking the time out of your game well, I, got, I got i got i got, I got oh, a couple things I want to yeah. <laughs> so uh when i was at ndsu coach bull was was my head coach and he always would say you can't be soaring with the eagles during the day if you're out hooting with the owls at night mm-hmm. if we got one of your players on and they said we asked them what you would be known for saying over and over again at practice what was your what's your go-to saying oh boy I, I think there's a couple the number one that pops into my head is you can humble yourself or someone else will do it for you that's probably my number one uh okay. we talked about that all the time and um man i know i have some that i'm gonna remember and they're gonna resurface when we hit the field here this summer but uh I would say just always talking about doing the right thing. And there might be some cliches and you might, you might have to ask some of my former players. I know Carl has a whole bunch of them, but uh, I say definitely you can humble yourself or somebody else is going to do it for you. I, I like that one. And then secondly, this morning it was just announced that they, I believe they're either voting on it or it got passed where college players can now start to get uh, endorsements for their likeness and getting paid that way. Kind of what, a, what are your thoughts on college athletes, do you think they should be paid and like for their likeness and things like that? Yeah. Well, you look at the NC2A, especially football, basketball, the major sports and look at all that money that's brought in. And then, you know, I remember watching, you guys remember the fab five Michigan oh, yeah. when they started five freshmen, Chris yeah, Walker was one of them. them. I remember watching. Yeah. Howard, oh yeah. You got them. You can name them. <laughs> uh, I remember watching like the 30 for 30 with um, Chris Weber said he walked by a, a student store or something and his jersey was in there and he couldn't even afford enough. He didn't have enough money to go out for pizza with his friends that night. And he was one of the reasons this 
this university was making so much money. So I don't know the ins and outs of it. So, you know, you know, I don't, I don't say I'm a end all and be all when it comes to this, but I don't really have a problem with the endorsements. You know, these, these kids are risking it, you know, they could tear out their ACL or, or hip. Like who's the kid that tore or messed up his hip? Uh, the Oklahoma quarterback or was it Alabama quarterback? Yeah. 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 And, and they're risking their future finances yeah. uh, playing college football. So I have no problem with them getting a little kickback from endorsements and that type of stuff. Yeah. I think what you got to watch for like anything is the illegal activity that will surface because of it. Right. I mean, it's just going to happen. Yeah. yeah you Anybody don't know what kind of can of worms is going to open. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. You're right. You know, we, we don't know the unforeseen um, effects it could have down the road. Yeah. And then, and then lastly for me, um, so when I was in high school, I had a lot of coaches that would get letters or angry parents that mm-hmm. would come down. I remember there was one time I was playing JV basketball and uh, my coach and I got into a little exchange from like, I was on the court and he was on the bench and it was halftime. My dad came down. Cause I mean, I got cussed out good while I was out on the court <laughs> down into the locker room to try to like give the coach a piece of his mind. And I was like, dad, no, I earned this one. You can just leave. Like, oh, it'll be fine. You have any, any out of pocket mm. uh, parent experiences that come to the top of your head? Yeah. You know, parents were really good in Mankato and I can kind of tell you why, if you want to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, we'll see how this applies in my current role. But to me, I always, I learned this from Tim Herman at Austin high school. I tell the parents at our coaches meeting and your story plays into this perfectly, Tevin is you can reach out to me. You can call me, you can email me. I don't want you to, first of all, I want to deal with your son. I'm trying to make your son, your boy, a man. And one way to do that is to teach him to stand on his own two feet. So, you know, we're going to have playing time conversations. We're going to, we're going to share with him why he's not playing if he's not playing. And if you call or email me or any of our coaches, it's usually an email, right? Cause I don't always answer my mm-hmm. phone if I don't know who's calling and right. maybe they'll leave a voicemail, but it's typically an email at midnight on Friday night. Right. Plain time. <laughs> what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to print out that email. I'm going to highlight parts of it. I'm going to respond. I'm going to say, thanks for your email. I'll talk to little Jimmy on Monday. That's all you're going to get. And I'm going to have little Jimmy come in on Monday. We're going to sit down in my office. I'm going to say your dad emailed me on Friday. I'm going to read these pieces to you. I'm not going to humiliate if it's, if there's explicit language and all that, I'm not going to read those Mm -hmm. parts. I'm going to get the key points and you know what happens with your story as well was little Jimmy looks at me and says, coach, I'm sorry. You know, 24 out of 25 times, they know why they're not playing. They know the kid in front of them is better. If he's Mm -hmm. not significantly better, they're probably splitting time, you know, till one of them surfaces to the top. And so I share this with parents. This is how it's going to play out. And then I follow through on it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to follow through on it. And so parents know exactly what they're going to get. I'm not going to deal with it. You're going to have to come in and meet with me and the AD if it gets to that point. Otherwise, I'm going to communicate through your son because he's the person that I'm in. He's the reason I'm doing this. 
I'm investing in him to make him a better person so he can handle his boss 10 years from now. Who's going to, mom ain't going to call the boss, right? You hope not. <laughs> you hope not. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I do say this, if, if your son is being sworn at or mistreated or bullied or denigrated in any way, shape or form, absolutely. I will return your phone call. I'll return your email and we will get to the bottom of that hundred percent. I love that. The other that's, category, no. Yeah. That's a great way to put it together. I never even, I've, I've always wondered how people deal with that kind of stuff. That's, mm. that's very cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then to also, yeah, not be able to, or to be able to then say, okay, yeah, your mom and dad might be on me 24 7. I'll give you more playing time. And then it's like, I want to almost not take it out on the kid, but be like, well, I'm just not going to play you just to show them. But then just <laughs> man, that happens, that man. That stuff yeah. happens. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I think the, the cure to that is just get it all out in the open between you and him and parents if needed. And, and then I'm not going to hold a grudge. We're going to be on the same page when we move forward. It eliminates that. No. And then, and at the end of the day, like the kids just, they just want to play football and be around their friends and have a good time and, and win some games. Like I spent a summer volunteering. Well, usually I go back to Osceola back in my hometown and help coach out a little bit every once in a while, but I went to a YZ and helped them one summer and that's, mm -hmm. yeah, very, very gratifying and, and feels good to give back and just be around kids that are generally just there to love the game and play. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Well, coach, we really appreciate you with your time again. We're going to, we're going to officially try to end it now. And I don't know if Kevin's got more questions to bring up, but <laughs> I really appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun and we'd love to have you back whenever you want to come back. Yeah. Again, sounds the, great. Book, the book, the book, oh, yeah. talk about yeah, rise just, of the warriors, where to get it again. Yeah, just one more note on that. If you write down this website, it's www.riseofthewarriorsbook.com. You can also search it on Amazon. It's available as a paperback and a Kindle. And, uh, yeah, if you can support it, give it a read. If you like it, share it with others. That would be awesome. Thanks, Coach. All right, Thanks. appreciate it, guys.